I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life. Only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. This is the reading of God's word. Uh, Let me invite you to take a seat. I'm going to pray for us in just a moment. Let you get your stuff. Uh, Before we kind of dive into the sermon this morning, I do want to say thank you. Um, Katie and I are uh, so deeply grateful for the generosity of this church to the ministry of RUF at UC Berkeley. Um, It is a huge encouragement to me personally, especially on uh, discouraging days, and there are a lot of discouraging days in ministry at UC Berkeley. Uh, There's also a lot of encouraging days, Um, but we are are so thankful for your kindness to us. Um, and uh, I want you to know, I try to say this each time I'm here, that God really is at work at Berkeley. You know, most people often perceive Berkeley to kind of be one of those places that you just kind of wish would just kind of fall off into the ocean, you know, and disappear. But, but uh, Jesus loves this place. He loves I've been there for seven years. Uh, started this ministry seven years ago. Didn't know a single student, and I thought I have made the biggest mistake of my life <laughs> coming here. And what I found is that uh, God is wildly at work at Berkeley. He loves to work in places like Berkeley, and uh, it's a privilege for us to get to work with these students. And I want to share one, just one quick quote with you. This is from a, a student named Katie, who came into RUF uh, about three semesters ago. And her life has been radically transformed. She's become a Christian. Um, she's begun to hear the gospel for the first time. And I want you to hear what, what Katie said. She wrote, uh, Without a doubt, I can say that God used RUF to draw me to himself. I used to believe that I chose to come to Berkeley out of my own practical reasons. Attending such a prestigious University would mark the highest achievement of my life. If you don't know this, Berkeley is often ranked as the number one public university in the world. Which means that I spend half my time walking around figuring out how can I convince these people that I'm not an idiot. Anyways, I used to believe that I chose to come to Berkeley out of my own practical reasons. Attending such a prestigious university would mark the highest achievement of my life. That fact is certainly true and that I value the education I've received from Berkeley. However, I now see that all along God was influencing me to choose Berkeley, where he would be waiting for me. 
Had I not chosen Berkeley, I wouldn't have found RUF. And if I hadn't found RUF, I wouldn't have become a Christian. So I want you to know this, that there are students that you will meet in the new heavens and the new earth who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ because of your generosity. Thank you. We're deeply, deeply grateful for that. Okay. Um, our, our sermon text this morning is actually Psalm 23. We read it responsively earlier uh, in the service. And let me pray for us as we, as we dive into this. Father, thank you that you... You know every single person in this room. You see us and you know us. And whether we sit here this morning and we are convinced of the things that we have just sung and prayed and read, uh, or whether we're unconvinced of the things that we've just sung, and prayed and read. God, you know us, whether we come into this room this morning filled with belief or filled with doubt. You know whether we come into this place this morning filled with a sense of, of anxiousness. Or you know whether we come with a sense of boredom. Or anger. Or joy. Or despair. God, you see us and you know us. Would you come and speak to us in ways that we need to hear from you? God, you alone have the words of life. And so we ask that you would come and draw near to us now. Thank you that you see us and you know us and your response is always Not to move away from us, but to move towards us in love and in kindness and in mercy. We wouldn't be here this morning if that wasn't the case. We ask for your grace and for your spirit now. We pray this through Christ. Amen. I uh, have a good friend who served as an RUF campus minister for several years, and he tells Perhaps one of the funniest stories that I've ever heard in my entire life about a wedding that he performed uh, several years ago in Virginia. And I want to read, I want to read this story to you. He said, uh, the wedding was held in a Virginia vineyard, which was beautiful, except for the fact that it was 96 degrees with 99% humidity. You can appreciate this, right? And I was wearing a wool robe. I was sweating so profusely that the sweat was either dripping onto my glass lenses so that I couldn't read or was dripping into my mouth so that I was spraying the bride and groom with every word I spoke. While leaving for the wedding, my wife slipped down the front stairs of the house, leaving one foot bleeding and the other badly bruised, or so we thought. X-rays showed that she had a fracture, but we actually didn't find that out until the next day. She can hardly walk, but has to in order to get my children ready for the ceremony because they are the flower girl and the ring bearer. They walk down the aisle, and my son is not happy that his sister gets to throw something. 
And so he is determined to take over the basket of petals so that he can throw something as well. Halfway through the ceremony, my daughter, who has not felt well all day, goes to sit with my wife on the front row and proceeds to throw up three times in my wife's hands. Okay, I laughed when I read this. You're, you're gasping, but I was dying of laughter and begging God to never let this happen to me. Uh, shortly thereafter, still during the prayer and while my wife is holding my daughter's vomit. That's one of the joys of having children, by the way, is you get to, you get to type lines like that. While my wife was holding my daughter's vomit, my son passes gas loud enough for the first three rows to hear. And then he proceeds to congratulate himself by saying out loud, that a big one, mommy. (laughs) He concludes, he says, I'm not sure I will ever recover, at least not without counseling. (laughs) Oh, and P.S., I have yet to receive any payment for doing the wedding. Oh, I feel like we could just pray now and go home. No, I'm kidding. Um, This story is actually a picture of life. It is. You know, it's a picture of life because so often life does not turn out like you think it's going to turn out. Life does not go according to plan. And you actually, you only have to live long enough to realize this. Most of you have come to this conclusion. Life does not go as planned. The script does not always go like you would write it. And it is filled with tears and with tragedies and with sorrows. Now, I don't know many of you personally, um, but I do know that in a room this size, there are a lot of tears to speak about. Stories of unemployment, stories stories of underemployment, stories of broken marriages, stories of severed relationships, stories of children who've not turned out the way that you thought that they would, Uh, stories of loneliness, stories of sickness, stories of depression. Uh, Stories of devastating loss and having to bury parents and spouses and friends and siblings. We live in a broken world. Tears are inevitable. And this is why Christmas is such good news. Uh, Christmas is good news because it proclaims to us that God is with us in our tears. Christmas proclaims to us that God has come down in flesh and in history into a fallen world where things are not the way that they're supposed to be. And he has shown himself to be Emmanuel. The God who is with his people, in the midst of a world that is filled with tears. 
And if there's any place that we see this in the scriptures, it's in Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is a place where we see that God is with his people in the midst of their tears. Uh, you know, Psalm 23 is, is probably one of the most known, one of the most quoted passages in all of the Bible. And I think oftentimes we actually have a, uh, we have all sorts of misperceptions about Psalm 23. You know, we kind of, if you walk down the Hallmark aisle, you'll see a lot of Psalm 23 on the cover of a Hallmark card, right? And we kind of envision this nice looking shepherd, you know, who's sitting, it's a sunny day and he's sitting by this quiet stream and there's these nice sheep that are kind of just meandering in the grass. But that's actually not the picture of Psalm 23. Uh, Psalm 23 flows, it comes out of deep tears. I mean, think about this. David is the author of Psalm 23, right? David, who's uh, lost his first wife, uh, who, who experienced the death of an infant son, the rape of a daughter, the murder of another son. And if you read the whole litany of Psalms that David wrote, I think it's safe to say he was a man who battled depression throughout his life. David was a man who knew great tears. Life did not go like he would have written it. But he was also a man who experienced God's presence in the midst of his tears. And here we are, you know, some of you are thinking, Psalm 23, this is not what I would have anticipated on December 23rd, you know. Is this, is this pastor not aware that Christmas is like, you know, where's like the Jesus being born and all this, you know. Let me tell you something. It's the fourth Sunday of Advent. And tomorrow night, we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But you know what Advent is all about? Advent is a season of groaning. It's a season of longing. It's a season of waiting for God to show up and to break into this world that is not the way that it's supposed to be and to do something about it. That's what Advent is about. I mean, we live in this tension of all of these promises and the hope that God has given to us, but we live in this tension of life is filled with sorrow. And some of you, I mean, this is this Christmas for you will be a season of mourning for things that have happened this year. And Psalm 23 is so helpful for us. It's hopeful for us. Because what we see in Psalm 23 is that God is with David and he is with his people, and he is with you, and he is with me in the midst of our tears. How is he with us? This is what I want us to look at it this morning. How is God with us in the midst of our tears? Three ways. Very simple outline here. He's with us as a shepherd. He's with us as a guide, and he's with us as a friend. God is with us as a shepherd. He's with us as a guide, and he's with us as a friend. First, God is with us as a shepherd. You know, there are a multitude of metaphors for God when you read the scriptures, um, especially in the Psalms, you get things like this. God is a rock and he's a fortress and he's a deliverer. Uh, he's a refuge. He's a stronghold. But in Psalm 23, we get the most intimate of all metaphors. God is a shepherd. 
He's a shepherd. Now think about this. What does a shepherd do? I don't know if you have, I don't think you have shepherds here in Vera Beach, but what does a shepherd do? A shepherd cares for his sheep. That's what a shepherd does. It's a pretty simple job description. A shepherd cares for his sheep. Now here's the thing about being a shepherd. You care for your sheep in every moment. You know, it's not a 40-hour work week. It's not a 50-hour work week. It's not a 60-hour work week. It's not a 70-hour work week. It is a 168-hour work week. There is no vacation. There is no moment as a shepherd where your eye is off of your sheep. You care for them at every moment. And not just at every moment, but you care for them in every way. I mean, a shepherd has to care for the, the, he has to make sure his sheep have food and protection and shelter. He is attentive to their every need. And David is saying, God is like this. God is like a shepherd who cares deeply for his people. And he goes even a step further because, you know, David doesn't just say the Lord is a shepherd, but he says the Lord is my shepherd. He cares for and he knows me specifically. This is what David is saying. Now, let me just apply this to our tears for a moment. You know, if you've ever been in a season of sorrow, have you ever felt like God was distant? You ever felt like God had forgotten about you in your season of sorrow? I mean, I know for me, as I look back, that my seasons of tears have been the seasons that I've been most suspect of God's care and of his love and of his kindness. And what David says here is that God is not detached from your tears, but he is actually a shepherd who cares deeply for you in the midst of them. It's amazing. I mean, it's amazing to think about right now that the God of the heavens and the earth peers through the cosmos and he sees your tears and he sees my tears and he is moved. He's not detached. He's not distant, but he has bound himself to his people, and he cares for you deeply in the midst of your tears. God is a shepherd, and we need to know this, because if we don't know this, you know what happens in our tears? We actually end up running away from God rather than running to him. God is with us as a shepherd in the midst of our tears, but he's not just with us as a shepherd. He's with us as a guide. Now, you know, Psalm 23, it's a very well-known passage, but maybe the first three verses are the most well-known. You know, God, he, he leads me beside quiet waters. Uh, he leads me beside green pastures. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But as you keep reading Psalm 23, you get to verse 4, and what we find out is that David is not in a good spot in this moment. Because verse 4, the psalm changes. And what does he say? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that God is a guide who leads his people not just into green pastures, not just beside quiet waters, not just in the paths of righteousness, 
but into the valley. How do you perceive? How do you perceive the valleys that come into your life? Do you perceive them with just some sense of kind of random chance? You know, this is just kind of the way the world is. Things just kind of happen. You know, or maybe you perceive it with a sense of resignation. You know, life is hard. The world is broken. People get sick. People suffer. People die. It's just kind of the way that it is. What what Psalm 23 says is this. There is no valley that comes into your life or comes into my life apart from God's hand. When I uh, began RUF seven years ago, there was another campus minister who was in his young 30s. His name was Dustin Salter. Dustin was married. He had three young kids. Uh, One day, Dustin is out riding his bike in his neighborhood with two of his boys. He falls off his bike, suffers a massive head injury, falls into a coma for four months, and he never wakes up again. And three days before his accident, Dustin preached his last sermon. And his last sermon was on the providence of God. It's amazing. What he said in his sermon was this. He said, a loving God is in control even when bad things happen. A loving God is in control even when bad things happen. Three days later, he falls off a bike, leaves his wife, a young widow, leaves his three young children without a father. And while Dustin was in his coma, uh, one of his friends was actually flipping through Dustin's Bible. And in the back of Dustin's Bible, he found this taped, taped on the back page. This is what he found. It's from the Heidelberg Catechism. And it's this quote. It says, The providence of God is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which he upholds, as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures And so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, sickness, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but from his fatherly hand. All things come to us not by chance, but from his fatherly hand. Do you believe this? Do I believe this? I mean, wh- let me ask you this question. What would your life look like if you actually believed that God is a guide in the midst of your tears? Uh, Dustin's wife, Leanne, wrote a letter. This is about two and a half weeks after his accident. And I want you to hear this because I think this is this is actually a good picture of what our life would look like if we believe these things. And Leanne wrote this letter. She said, to my many friends and family, known and unknown. This is in the midst of not knowing how is the story going to end. Is my husband going to wake up? Is he going to be the same person if he does wake up? What's going to happen if he doesn't wake up? To my many friends and family, known and unknown. It has now been 18 days since Dustin hit a bump in the road that brought dark providence into our lives. 
I cannot begin to say thank you enough for the outpouring of love and support that you have given me and my children. I truly feel God's presence upholding me every minute. Thank you for your outpouring. Um, thank you for the outpouring of love and support you've given me and my children. I truly feel God's presence upholding me every minute. Thank you for your unceasing prayers. Amazingly, I sleep well at night, largely due to the fact that some of you are awake and praying for me throughout the night. I've had many good talks with the boys, and they understand as much as children can the seriousness of the situation. Continue to pray for me as I minister to them and help them believe their daddy's words on God's providence. I've experienced a whole range of different emotions, and this is what I want you to hear. But at this moment, my heart is sad because I miss my best friend. I know the road ahead is long, but I do know that I'm not alone, so together we wait for God's glory to be revealed. Now, let me tell you why this is helpful for me, okay? Uh, This letter was helpful for me because I think what you begin to see is that when, when you begin to perceive that God is with you as a shepherd in the midst of your tears, it actually gives you an incredible freedom to weep and to grieve when tragedy strikes. Why? Because God is a shepherd who cares deeply for his people. But it also gives you a capacity to trust God when when life does not go as planned. Why? Because God is a God who is with his people in the midst of their tears. That there is no valley that comes into your life or that comes into my life apart from God's fatherly hand. He is with us as a guide. He's with us as a, as a shepherd. He's with us as a guide. And then last, God is with us as a friend. Now, uh, Psalm 23 is interesting because as you read Psalm 23, it actually moves from the outdoors, from this stream and this, uh, these pastures to the indoors. You get to verse 5 and what you find is there is this lavish meal that is taking place. And that the host of this meal is actually not David. It's not the psalmist, but it is God himself. David says, you prepare a table for me. And there's food and there's drink and there's oil. This is lavish feast that's taking place. And in the ancient Near East, when you, when you prepared a meal for somebody, when you invited them to feast with you, it was a sign of friendship. It was a sign of relationship. It was saying to that person, I am for you. And one of the greatest myths of suffering is for the Christian to begin to think that God is somehow mad at you. Have you ever thought that? When tragedy strikes, when suffering comes, when seasons of tears and sorrows comes, that, that God is somehow upset with you, that he's not happy with you, that he's mad at you. Look, to be a Christian, I mean, this is the most, this is the most, this is Christianity 101. To be a Christian means to know with absolute certainty that God is for you. 
That he's actually out, not out to get you, but he's out to bless you. That he doesn't simply love you, but he actually likes you. Do you know this? That, that God feels great affections for you. That's part of what it means to be a Christian. That he doesn't just love you, but he actually likes you and he delights in you and he enjoys you. He is not out to get you. God is a friend. And this is something that we have got to take hold of in the midst of our tears. I mean, think about this. What, it, what does a friend do for you in the midst of your tears? You know, as I look back at, at kind of my own seasons of sorrow, the, the people who have cared for me most are the people who have simply shown up and wept with me. I mean, you know this, right? Some of you have experienced this, where it's not simply someone kind of, you know, giving you the right Bible verse or saying the right thing, but it's someone who is simply willing to show up and sit with you in the midst of your tears and weep alongside you. In John chapter 11, there's a scene in the Gospels. Many of you know this story. Jesus shows up. A man by the name of Lazarus has died. And Lazarus's two sisters are grieving. Mary and Martha. And the end of the story is, is incredible because Jesus actually raises Lazarus from the dead and there's this huge celebration that takes place. But what happens when Jesus shows up? Jesus says, take me to his tomb. And as they take Jesus to his tomb, to, to Lazarus' tomb, Jesus, he sees the tears of Mary and Martha. And what is his first response to them? I mean, if I'm Jesus, which I'm not, let me be very clear, in this moment, okay, and I know that I'm about to raise this man from the dead, I think I'm saying something like, watch this. This is going to be amazing. Does somebody have a, a, you know, a recorder? Let's get this on video, right? Or you're not going to believe this. What is Jesus' first response? He weeps. The shortest verse in all of the scriptures, Jesus wept. And what you find in Christianity, I would say you, you find nowhere else, a God who weeps with his people. This is the kind of friend that God is to you in the midst of your tears. He weeps with you. And the reality is, is that we, we, we want more. We want empathy, right? We want a friend to weep with us, but we want more than just empathy. We want, we want friends who can do something about our tears. Uh, when I was, this is six years ago, the darkest season of my own life, uh, my students knew, knew this. They knew that I was in an incredibly dark season personally. Uh, I went away, it was, it, was, it was actually around Christmas, I went away to an RUF conference. I came back. I walk into my house. And my entire house has been decorated with Christmas lights. I have no clue to this day how my students broke into my house. They broke into my house. This is kind of concerning. And wonderful. 
I mean, these, these were students that I was ministering to, that all of a sudden God is using them in my life. People who are seeing my tears and my sorrows and who are actually doing something about it, who are taking action. And this is the great news of Christianity, that God does not simply just share our tears and weep with us, but he has actually done something about them. We read it this morning in John chapter 10. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for my sheep. He's talking about the cross. And the one, the shepherd that David is looking to in Psalm 23, Jesus says, actually, that's me. I'm the shepherd who's not simply just with you in the valley, but I'm actually the shepherd who is going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death for you. I am the good shepherd who does something about the tears of my people. I mean, why did Jesus go to the cross? Think about this. Why did Jesus go through the valley of the shadow of death? The psalmist is actually helpful for us here. David ends this psalm in verse 6 by looking to the future. He says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And what, what David saw dimly, we see clearly. What David saw in black and white, we see in technicolor. Because when you come to the end of the scriptures, do you know how the story ends? The story ends... With Jesus himself, as it says in the book of Revelation, wiping every tear from our eyes. That there will be no more death and no more mourning and no more crying and no more pain. And as one church father said, Jesus is the one who weeps and he is the one who causes tears to cease. Christmas Christmas is great news. It's great news because it says that God has actually come to do for us what we can never do for ourselves. He has come into this world in person, in flesh, in the form of Jesus Christ. And he lived the life we should have lived. And he's died the death we should have died. And he's done all of this so that you and I can actually be reconciled to God and be put in right relationship with him. And it has nothing to do with anything that we do. God's favor for you and I has nothing to do with your performance over the last seven days, the last 14 days, the last month, or the last 60 years. It has everything to do with what Jesus did for you and I 2,000 years ago. Jesus came to deal with our sin. Please hear that clearly. But let me say this. That is not all that Jesus came to do. Jesus came to deal with our sin, yes. But Jesus came to deal with our tears. Jesus came to set the world to rights. This is a God who looks down on a world that is fallen and broken, is not working the way that it's supposed to do, the way that it's supposed to work, and says, something must 
happen. And that is what Christmas is about. Jesus is the one. He is the God who weeps. And he is the God who will cause our tears to cease. This is great news. Let's pray together. Jesus, we praise you as the weeping shepherd. The one who cares for his people and for his world so deeply that you would not simply be with us as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but that you would voluntarily yourself walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Father, I pray for those here this morning who are in the midst of tears, who will be celebrating Christmas Day, but also grieving and mourning and remembering and crying. Father, would you be with them? Would you give them a deep assurance of your presence, that you are the God who has come down and you come near to us and you are close to the brokenhearted? And I pray for others of us in here this morning who uh, maybe we're not in a season of tears and life is going pretty well. Father, we live in a fallen world and tears are inevitable. And I pray that you would get a hold of us this morning and that you would sink these truths deep into our hearts so that we might be readied when those moments come. So that we would run to you and not away from you that we would cling to you as our good shepherd. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.